The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Wade and Alex bring in guest David Blanchett, and in this episode, they see if they can turn that frown upside down as they dig into the retirement spending smile. Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of Retire with Style. I'm Alex, I'm here with Wade, and Wade is going to introduce a very special guest. Fire away, Wade. Okay, thanks Alex, and for listeners of this podcast, I assume everyone our guest is today, David Blanchett is one of the leading researchers in the area of retirement income planning in the world. So we're very happy to have him here. He is currently the managing director and head of retirement research at, at PGM DC Solutions. He spent years at Morningstar. He's published over a hundred articles and I, I've always thought he effectively writes one research article per week going on now for the past 10 years. So I got to imagine that hundred articles on his official bio is an underestimate. But he is Dr. David Blanchett with a PhD from Texas Tech University. And we're very happy to have you here, David, to talk about, uh, in particular today, some of the, the amazing research that you did on the idea of retirement spending smile that fits very well into our discussion about retirement budgeting. That's our current but, story arc, as Alex but, likes to but, say. Real quick, David. David, do you think in the world or in the US? What do you mean? When, they, when Wade said expert in the world. Said, yeah, no, I, I, want, I want the galaxy. Give me the galaxy, okay? Like, why stop just the best in the world, okay? All right, there it is. Wade's just big in Japan. Outside of the U.S., he's just big in Japan. I couldn't help it, Wade. I saw that there, and it was just a softball down the middle. <laughs> Right, right, and, and Moshvaleski in Canada. That's where we have to make sure we broaden beyond just the, these borders of the <laughs> contiguous U.S. But, but David, what we have been talking about recently is a budgeting for retirement, and I explain it in terms of, and this is where the it's motivated by the smile. But you know, nobody knows how their spending is going to evolve in retirement, and so it's a matter of doing some guesswork around that. Most people probably will reduce at least discretionary types of spending as they age. Healthcare can come into the mix there. But could you tell us about the research you did looking at actual households to see, to try to inform this kind of conversation around when I'm planning for my retirement and I don't really know what's going to happen with my spending, especially in my 80s and so forth, what does the data suggest might be a reasonable starting point for that? Sure. So, you know, if we go back, this is about a decade old. There's actually quite a bit in this space. And the point that I kind of always make is that retirement is the most expensive purchase most households ever make, right? It's a lot more expensive than a home, than a car, than your fancy new, you know, iPad, whatever. So it, it really is important to get it right. And I think that, you know, too many advisors in this space focus a lot on the asset part of the equation. They, they build really efficient portfolios. They have um, you know, capital market assumptions or CMAs for 50 asset classes, all this stuff. And then I'm just going to assume that you retire and your spending goes up every year by inflation. Well, like it's a little bit more complicated than that. Right. And, you know, obviously, 
everyone is different. You know, you have to kind of start with that in mind, but you can ask yourself, well, like what, what differences do you see in reality, like looking at empirical data versus what we commonly assume in financial plans? And, you know, one kind of common assumption, especially in research for the last 30 plus years, is that retirees increase their consumption or spending every year in retirement by inflation. So like what this means literally is that like, oh, if, if the CPI went up like 3.2% last year, that every single client out there calls up their advisor and says, hey, CPI was up last year by 3.2%, I need a raise. Or I think what a, a better way to think about it, well, what do actually people do over time? And, and you can use different data sets to look at this. And, you know, kind of the, the most common one used is what's called a health and retirement study. And there's, there's you know, now, at least I would say, you know, 10 plus, probably more than that papers looking at, you know, how people, how, how the same household evolves their spending over time. And there's kind of overwhelming evidence that suggests that the individuals don't increase their spending every year by inflation, they tend to reduce it a little bit. So, you know, for example, if inflation is, say, 3% a year on average, a household might increase their spending by 1% a year. So that, that total amount spent is actually decreasing in real terms um, as someone moves through retirement. Now, um, it gets kind of tricky as you get older, um, and this is based upon whether you like like the average or the median. Um, the median person continues to see this decline on average. The problem is though, um, the average person tends to see an increase at later ages because there are a few folks that have kind of significant health expenses. And so I think to me, the takeaway um, is just that when you're thinking about, about retirement spending, it really isn't as simple as, as assuming that it goes up every year by inflation. Advisors will say, well, like, well, so what? And I say, so what? Because it might free up money that they can use when they're younger and more active to, you know, go on vacations or use more effectively. So I think that, you know, kind of rethinking this decision around, you know, we have to assume that spending increases by inflation is really overly simplistic and doesn't match reality. I, right. I, and more to that point, the, so like the 4% rule idea has that assumption that you do increase spending for inflation every year. And I think one of the points you made with the Spending Smile article is that that's going to require a much bigger pot of assets to fund the retirement than otherwise. And you have some estimates around kind of, so to be clear also what the, the Spending Smile is, it's spending tends to decline from your retirement point until your mid eighties. And so that's, you're coming down with a smile and then you work your way back up again later in retirement, but may never really surpass or, or may get close to that initial starting point in say your mid nineties and so forth because of health related or long-term care related expenses. But it's a much less uh, pot of assets to get that retirement with a spending smile, right? Well, to me, like, and, and again, like that's why it's so important. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's shifting consumption to some extent. It's saying, hey, you don't have to assume that you're going to increase your spending every year by inflation. Um, you can actually maybe, you either need less to retire, you can save less for retirement, or you can spend more when you first retire. So I think that what it helps retirees think about is is, is how they can reshift their consumption. Now, there are there are important nuances there, right? So, you know, the, 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 the smaller your overall retirement income goal, um, the less declines you tend to see, right? So if you're spending, say, like, $25,000 a year, that tends to go down less than if you're spending, say, $100,000 a year. And, th and that, that should be somewhat intuitive because individuals who are spending more, consuming more, are usually spending more on discretionary items. They can they can choose to cut back and they tend to do so um, if, assuming they can. It's, I mean, in a funny sort of way, I, I, I think, do you think there there's some thought process behind this in terms of 
you know, people get caught up with what's the minimum uh, sustainable withdrawal or maximum sustainable withdrawal rate. Uh, not being aware of this uh, spending smile, I, I, I get the sense that you're saying, and I'm, I, I get it, but I just want to say it to, for, for our listenership, people tend to kind of not spend enough during retirement. They underspend, hence the quality of life isn't what they should be if they don't know that this is a pattern that's most likely than not. Is, is that a correct statement? Well, yeah. So what ends up happening, right, is you is you is you you're spending less at 65 because you think you're going to spend more when you're 85, and so you're effectively under-consuming, right? Um, and there's really interesting um, nuances here when you get to the more kind of um, modeling aspect of things. So think about like you're like so you have assets and liabilities, right? So assets are your savings, it's your guaranteed income. The liability is your goal. Well, you know, uh, virtually every American receives some form of, of guaranteed lifetime income benefit, like Social Security. That is increased annually by inflation. So it very well could be that all the inflation adjustments that you need in retirement, you'll get from Social Security. And all of a sudden, then this kind of, you know, withdrawal amount you need from your portfolio is more nominal in nature than real. So if you're not increasing the withdrawal from your portfolio, the target by inflation, you know, all of a sudden this notion of, well, the 4% rule, it's built around this idea of I need money increased every year by inflation. So, you know, a 4% real initial withdrawal rate is equivalent about to a 5% initial nominal yeah, exactly so all exactly of a sudden, you can you can you can take out more from your portfolio because you don't need it to fund the same type of spending especially as you move through retirement i agree and may the financial planning gods like strike me down with a bolt of lightning through this window but i, I think it's, it's it's absolute idiocy this kind of rigmarole around four point four percent is the right rule 3.98 percent is the right amount 3.85 is the right amount and they do this year after year after year whereas if they've given any contemplation towards what will spending look like, you know, if they give half as much effort on what will spending look like as opposed to what the right sustainable withdrawal rate is, I think people would be in a much better place longer term. Well, so there's, I mean, there's different, you know, it's really interesting if you think about, about retiree consumption. So, you know, if you take like a, like a first level perspective on retiree spending, you know, what you, what you would see is that, you know, healthcare costs, as everyone knows, are a rising component of retiree spending. So if you look at like data from the Consumer Expenditure Survey, um, about 10% of retiree budgets go to healthcare at age 65. It's about 20% at age 85. And so right there, someone would say, well, David, you know, healthcare is a rising component of spending. Um, everyone knows that healthcare costs have risen faster than general inflation. So you would say, well, actually, David, I need to assume that, that the inflation rate for the retiree goal should be more than inflation, well, right? So, hmm. if, you know, I'm gonna, I would say, oh, well, if inflation's 2%, I got to assume it's a 3% rate because healthcare is this larger rising component. Well, the, the thing is, is that it is true that healthcare is a rising component of overall expenditures, but it's everything else that people can spend money on that they spend less on. And so I think an one thing that worries me is there's like there's the there's what's called the CPIE, right? The CPI for the elderly. And if you if you don't think about about you know not just what people spend money on, but how they spend, you could actually read the total the, the, the totally wrong conclusion about what inflation rate to use because people just don't you know, they, they just actively choose to spend less as they move through retirement. And this effect is true even even for folks who are overfunded. So if some people say, well, oh, David, you know, like, yeah, you find this effect because everyone is, is going to go broke. And no, if you isolate those those households in the HRS that have like tons of money, they still reduce their consumption in real terms as well. So I think that it's not just, you know, it's not because people have to spend less. They're just choosing to because they value different things as they move through retirement. No, when you control for wealth, you you see a reduced spending because I mean the, the obvious thing is physical activity, right? You're not you're okay. Healthcare is up, but you're not pickleball. You're playing it less. I I don't know. I'm just making something up, but 
there, there's an offset in terms of what you can do anyways on the discretionary side. And, right, and it, just it, it, put I some think, numbers think... around that. Or, Go ahead, wait. Well, it's just, yeah, like the, the spending smile pattern that you described, it, you put equations behind it for the person who spends $100,000. I plugged that into that 4% rule style analysis once and found that that 4% rule would be a 4.7% rule based on this idea that you're not going to have spending growth for inflation. It's going to decrease and then eventually come back up. But that led to 15% less assets for retirement. So just to put a little context around what exactly, I mean, this is not insignificant what we're, we're talking about here, but sorry to interrupt you there. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. And I mean, like, so like the, 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 real, like the, the, the one interesting kind of nuance with, with that analysis is that, you know, for those of you that are you know, clients out there, it's, it's based upon a regression. And, you know, the, the an issue with regressions at older ages is it kind of the, the outliers come and come into play. And so like there is the kind of tick up that you see with the average, but you don't see that with the median, like the like median healthcare costs aren't that significant for the for the for the median person who gets older, but there is a very real chance for folks that live a long time, you could have a significant health expense. And so there's kind of some unique nuances about the tail that don't exist with kind of the, the earlier part of retirement where there just is this collective reduction in expenses on average for the vast mm -hmm. majority of retirees. And, and just and to be clear, just a... real, real quick way, just average is the average, right? Median, do you want to explain to folks just in case they're non-advisors, we do have card number comes median is the yeah, number so, in the middle but so you, maybe you have a set response for what a median is well so there's there's three of us on today's podcast um i make a dollar a year um alex makes a hundred dollars a year Wade makes a thousand dollars a year okay so, Wade makes more than that I, I, well, <laughs> relatively speaking I, relatively I, I, speaking i round it up i round it up i round it up okay so then <laughs> the key right so you have a dollar a hundred and thousand you know like if i add those up like the average is what like i don't know like three hundred dollars okay the median though the middle person's only a hundred and so the problem, you know, problem is, you know, the word to use is with averages is that outliers can really affect what the result is. And so when you run like regressions or build models, you know, like those are often focused more on the outliers. So that, that, that tail you see in like the spending smile, it's being driven by, you know, some individuals that do have these significant medical expenses, the average retiree isn't going to experience those. However, the average retiree does reduce consumption collectively as you move through retirement. There's just kind of nuances in terms of how you look at um, retiree cohorts. Yeah, I will say this though, Wade and Elon Musk average about a net worth of $100 billion. Just wanted to... That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, Wade, I couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, this point about, well, yeah, absolutely. So you've got like, sometimes people may spend years in a nursing home, 100,000 plus a year that's going to pull up that average in a way that uh, helps create that smile. But so we don't plan for the average situation usually. Is there, do you have any sort of sense when you were looking at the data of what percentage of the population may never really see that uptick in spending versus uh, for those who do experience that uptick in spending, is the assumption of constant inflation adjusted spending closer to what they might experience or is it worse question, more than that less than that so I here's where things get tricky okay so um the probability of experiencing significant health expenses increases uh right americans collectively especially wealthy americans are living longer and so when you do research there's this question of like well how relevant is it for individuals today who are 65 who could be alive like 30 years from now Right. So, you know, while it's true that, you know, only a minority experience health shocks, 
What also tends to happen though, when you experience a health shock is that you tend to reduce your consumption afterwards. So in some other research, what I looked at is if you experience a health shock, how does that affect, how does that relate to future consumption? And like, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Like usually if something happens where you experience a health shock, you spend less afterwards. Again, there's this kind of effect where is it because of active choice or because you have to, and if you isolate household wealth, you know, people still tend to spend less over time. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know the answer to like what the percentage is, especially in the context of like when you forecast improvement in mortality. But I, I do think that to me, like the takeaway is not so much to worry about, you know, like that, that, that ultimate tail risk. It's just in a base financial plan, don't assume the retiree is going to increase spending every year by inflation. Maybe assume it's 1% less than inflation or 2% less, just to kind of better calibrate what spending is going to look like on average. But you, not every year. You mean in certain yearly windows? Reduce Every it. year. So if you assume inflation okay. is 3% a year, you should assume the retiree spending goal increases every year by, say, 1% to better track how that's likely to evolve over time. Okay. And you would do that as opposed to... The, I'm making it up now, so I could be off. The first 10 years, let's add this inflation rate. The middle 10 years, let's add this inflation rate. And the end, let's add this. I'm, I'm kind of thinking in my head to correspond with the expenses of a spending smile. You're saying, nah, just smooth it out. Do X minus one and call it a day. So I'm going to guess that like 95% plus of listeners are just using inflation right now. So I, I like to do baby steps. I, you know, it's not yeah, okay, clear to me like enough. how how tools can incorporate, you know, spending. The, the most important thing, right, is everyone's going to have a different retirement. You know, like these are these these projections are, are a hot mess. You know, if you if you assume <laughs> retiree consumption rises by inflation, you are likely going to suggest someone spend less or a lot less when they're a younger retiree than if you just somehow incorporate this this idea that spending will, will decline in real terms over time. So from my perspective, that's the most important thing. There's lots of ways to do it. Um, but right now, the industry standard is to assume that, that spending is in real terms, not 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 nominal or some combination. So to me, let's let's check that first box and then move on to more intricate ways of, of modeling how it, it will change over time. Gotcha. Are you up for the challenge? Registration is open for Retirement Researchers August Retirement Income Challenge starting on Monday, August 1st at noon Eastern. During this free four-day challenge with Wade, Alex, and I, you'll get to take the RISA, run and analyze your own funded ratio, and if you put in the work, come out with a retirement income plan that fits you. Space is limited, so head over to risaprofile.com podcast to learn more and sign up today. Again, that's resaprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge. Wait, you know what yeah, I, when I I'm find... explaining oh, the ahead, concept, wait. just when I'm explaining the concept and also because software may not allow different inflation rates to be used, I do like that idea of just thinking about it like the go-go, slow-go, no-go type of years where maybe, okay, I'm going to assume the same kind of inflation adjusted spending through age 75 then uh, though it's hard to do this, I'm gonna look through my categories of spending and, and assume, okay, I may travel less between ages 76 and, and 85. And, and so discreetly reduce spending at later ages rather than having that continual reduction. But I, I think ultimately either way, it's moving towards the idea of, we don't necessarily need to assume that if I'm traveling around the world in, in my 60s, I'm going to be doing the same sort of thing in my 80s. That's an area where I'll probably spend significantly less. And, and that's also true with other categories as well. Go to the Yeah, so I mean, I, I really like the idea of, of that more granular matching, thinking about what are your expenditures and how they're going to evolve. 
Um, so I think that that is, that is the best way to do it. I just don't know to what extent advisors, planners do that today and how it can be modeled in a lot of the more And you're also making a point that if you're a consumer, baby step it, you know, and, and it just do X minus, one, X minus one on inflation and that should get you there as well. Yeah, I mean, in, in, you know, it, uh, you know, for lack of better terms, there's a lot of kind of terrifying information about healthcare costs. You know, yeah, it's like the, there's the stats that healthcare is going to cost. You know, like four thousand dollars a year. Well, like you can do the same thing for all of your spend. You can do that for your your your, your transportation, yeah. your your food. We we don't do that, um, and and those pieces are going to evolve as you move through time. But again, I just I just worry that as an industry, we spend so much time building like perfect portfolios to like the second decimal spot and just use very, very basic <laughs> assumptions about the liability. No, that was my point about if half the energy was 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 spent on this, half as much of the energy was spent on this as opposed to what the right sustainable withdrawal rate is, I think we'd be having the right context of conversations with clients, frankly. So 100% agree. An another theme, Wade, I don't know if you picked up on this, and David, previously we had Michael Finke on. Just talking about you know the general and and Michael Wade and and David are longtime collaborators on many research projects, and and a theme that I picked up that he was saying and 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 Wade and I share this, is when you read a lot of these articles from journalists or from you know the actual researchers, there's it's easy to get a sense of these draconian outlooks, on re retirement, but when when I'm listening to Michael when I'm listening to you right now and Wade and I are just chit chatting. I mean, the underlying theme in what we want to do is get people to actually spend as much as they can and live a fulfilled retirement. And I, and I, I, I think that's important to say. I, I, I think that, you know, the why, right? You don't want to get to retirement and then you're just getting by with the bare minimum. And I, and I, think, I, I think you're reflecting that quite a bit. Am I, am I off on that? Is, that? is that one of the pillars that guides your thinking in terms of the retirement spending is how can I get you to spend as much as you can to live this fulfilled retirement as opposed to taking the other angle? Yeah, I mean, if, if I knew how long you're going to live, the returns of your portfolio, exactly. I could tell you exactly how much you have to yeah. save for retirement, you know. And so since we don't know that, we have to deal with uncertainty. And I think the problem is, is that we often focus on one type of risk, which is not being broke at some older age. And that's definitely a risk. I'm not going to say it's not. But, you know, if you end up having like a bajillion dollars at age 95 that you could have spent on the grandkids on travel, then you didn't live your best retirement. So it really is a balancing act. And I think that, you know, a lot of advisors, you know, they run financial plans to age 105 with 98% success rates. Well, like that's absurd, right? You know, like what you're what you're doing is you're is you're is you're trading, you know, the, the, the likelihood of being broke at 95, which is now zero for n doing nothing when you can actually enjoy the money. So I think the key is is a more balanced perspective. It's understanding what you want to spend. What are your assets? How do those match up? And then building a, a better overall retirement strategy. And with the theme we're on today about with a retirement spending smile suggesting you can spend at a higher rate, another important factor that you've written about is if you have income sources from outside the portfolio yeah. that are going to last for your lifetime, such as Social Security benefits is one example, it's not necessarily catastrophic if you spend down your investment assets. And so that you find to be a really important factor that can allow someone to spend much more than the quote unquote safe withdrawal rate. And so could you talk about that a little bit as well? Yeah, I mean, like that's why like success rates are kind of a terrible metric to use in the grand scheme of things, right? I mean, because what they ignore is the, is the magnitude of failure, you know? So if I've got like social security and pensions covering 90% of my goal, and if I just simply decompose my liability into needs and wants, so all of my needs are covered, 
Most of my ones are covered. I've got a portfolio. You could spend like six or 7%, like who cares? Go out, have fun and adjust as you need to, right? When you ignore the fact that the portfolio is a marginal asset, its goal is to usually fund elastic spending, you can lead to very overly conservative estimates about, well, like what are the implications if it does if it does fail? So like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I actually still like 4% as a great starting point. The problem is, is that, you know, what you need to match it up against is what are your assets and liabilities and what, it, what does it mean to truly fail? Well, you know, in reality, people are going to make changes over time based upon how the how the market, you know, evolves and they might adjust their withdrawal rates. Our tools don't account for that. You know, success rates don't account for magnitude of failure. I think there's just a host of issues today that, that lead to really some suboptimal recommendations from the vast majority of financial planning algorithms that are out there. I think that's good, and, and I want to hold. I don't want to talk too, too, too much about this right now, wait, because we're going to follow up with uh, David in another episode about the, the planning tools that we can use for retirement income. But this is a good uh, teaser about that. One thing I'd, I'd like to throw out there, and maybe we can conclude with with something like this. Wait, we we've been we've been having the previous episodes have been about budgeting, you know, what types of budgeting systems work best, and, and things along those lines, and how to budget for unexpected expenses right which is kind of almost an oxymoron in, in, in and of itself but based on what you've heard from david about listen there is there is though a, a a pattern with regards to spending from a practical standpoint for folks that have been listening to the previous episodes what 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 do you think what do you recommend they should be doing as they budget for retirement with, with this sort of expectations how do they incorporate david's research in, uh, into their spending into the spending and retirement. Obviously, we said, hey, just add inflation and, and subtract a little bit. Wade, you were saying, you know, you're more granular in which, you know, you're that 1% that David was referring to where, you know, match it year by year and, and, and have it reflect that spending smile. But what, what, what takeaway can someone have with this from a practical standpoint? I, I think the takeaway would be like how to construct the, the smile, the, the other half of that smile. So you're kind of the retirement spending without the healthcare shocks. You don't have a smile. You have a, well, you're smiling on one side, but it just goes down and never comes back up. So you have to think about what do you want to construct as that reasonable uptick in spending that you want to be prepared for. And that if you are prepared for that, you feel comfortable that you have sufficient assets for retirement and therefore feel like you can go ahead and, and spend your money as you want. And that's kind of the scenario is what what kind of uptick do you want to plan for? Is it five years in a nursing home, whatever the case may be, but also David, as you're accounting for. And if you have some specific numbers on that, it'd be great to see because otherwise it's just guesswork that indeed someone moving to a nursing home is going to be spending quite a bit less on some of those other categories because, well, food would be provided through the nursing home cost and so forth. So there could be a dramatic reduction in other expenses. The only issue there too, though, is when you layer in those high inflation rates on the long-term care, that can really dwarf any sort of offset you might get with other expenses that don't grow at such high inflation rates. But yeah, I mean, it's how do you construct that smile? And are you for the most part comfortable uh, using the kind of suggestion coming out of the research or is there another approach you might think about using for something like that? So again, I've got a low bar here. I think the number one thing, my advice for retirees, advisors, is, is just rethink the assumption that retiree spending is going to increase every year by inflation. 
you know, drop it by 1%, drop it by 2%, you know, maybe even use inflation as your, as your base estimate for a plan, run a second plan and show them, hey, this is, this is a more realistic estimate. There's a lot of uncertainties about life, but if, if you're spending kind of better tracks, what we think will happen, this is how that, how that main plan changes. I think that the idea is just to give people a better perception of what it's likely to look like. Um, and again, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm less concerned today about exactly what that is, given, you know, the inflexibility of planning tools and just the, you know, the, the, the wide usage today of um, inflation as the proxy for the benefit change. Right. Yeah, whatever point. you do, you're moving in the right direction. Right. Now, <laughs> I'm listening to this podcast and I'm, I'm a consumer and I'm thinking, OK, inflation, you know, uh, we're, we're sitting at yes. Obviously, we, we want to make these podcasts evergreen <laughs> where someone listens to it two years from now and it's not like what the hell are they talking about? Uh, but inflation is upward. You know, it's 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 crazy high right now. Uh, I think that's a scientific term. Uh, I, I, Wade uses it quite often. But no, uh, there, there's two points I want to make. How should somebody be thinking about inflation based on what we're seeing now? Will it, will it go back to a, a sort of range, if you will? And the other piece, and I've, I, I heard this in a previous podcast you were in, David, as it relates to the portfolio, I'm going to throw in a wrinkle, a, a, a portfolio allocation of stocks and bonds. If there is this sort of, I think the word was super cycle, where in the 60s and so forth, you know, interest rates went down. You kind of referred to there was some study in England where over the last, I don't know, 800 years? Did you go back that far? 800 years, ever since the Magna Carta was signed, <laughs> interest rates have been going down. You know, something like that. Are we now on that upward trajectory? And and what does that imply? Will that change the smile to that whatever? I, I Again, I, I just want to present it to you and, and you folks, you know, talk about it a little bit more. So, you know, a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, we had a couple of minutes left, and I thought, let me throw this in there, see where it goes. <laughs> you know, like, while it's true that inflation is defined as, like, the CPI-weighted basket of goods is high, you need to understand, like, what's been high. Like, airline fuel, um, used car prices, um, motor oil, those have been some of the biggest <laughs> drivers of uh, gas of inflation. And, you know, like healthcare expenses are only up about 3%. So sure, you know, like, like the, like the, 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 the BLS definition of inflation has been high, but everyone's, everyone's basket is different. And so I think that, that it is true that, you know, like if I'm renting a house in Miami, my rent has gone up 30%. If I'm a homeowner, you know, then my expenses potentially haven't risen as much at all. If I'm not driving much, if I don't fly much. And so I think that, that inflation is a very real risk, but it, it's different for every person. But I, I do believe that, that, you know, like the nature of the efficient retirement portfolio is very different than the, than the efficient accumulation portfolio. I think that the role of, of real assets are far more important for a retiree to the extent they need to hedge or they have unhedged inflation risk, right? You know, Social Security is a, is a pretty good hedge for inflation. It's hedged to the CPIW. To the extent that you want or need, you know, other other, you know, liabilities hedged to inflation, I, I believe in allocating more to real assets. So that's, you know, things like commodities. That's things like um, potentially real estate. There's tips. There's even I bonds. Um, I think those are all viable strategies. I mean, your question about like long-term interest rates. Gosh, you know, I have no idea. That was like an, it was by the it was Bank of England 800-year study. Um, I I would be surprised if if we see rates permanently go back to where they've been. Like the long-term average yield on on. Tenure governments is about five percent. Um, I don't. I don't think we'll get there, but we could, 
right? And so I, I think that the key, you know, for most people is a is a high quality diversified portfolio um, that's designed with their liability in mind. So, you know, if you don't need as much inflation protection, you still have a, a different portfolio in retirement than accumulation. But there really is, I think, a value more for personalization in retirement than there maybe is an accumulation. Can you repeat all of that? I can try, but I wouldn't do a very good job. <laughs> no, that was great. Wade, anything on that one? I think he covered it well, but you made the interesting point. Yeah, consumer price inflation now much higher than healthcare inflation. It kind of <laughs> mixes up the, the algorithm behind the retirement spending smile. But this may just be an anomaly of what we're experiencing right now. And certainly it takes a while for the inflation numbers. Like every month we hear, oh, this month now the past year inflation is 10%. But that's incorporating 11 of the 12 months that you heard in the previous month's numbers. So that should help sort itself out over time. And there's no reason to expect inflation to remain at the levels we've seen over the past year for the most part. Yeah. All right, Wade, you wanna call it a day on, the, on this episode? And uh, sounds good. And as you alluded to earlier, we are excited to invite David back very soon for another episode. So thanks everyone for listening to Retirement uh, Retire with Style. And we'll, we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye now. See y'all. Let <laughs> me end the Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.